Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. T minus 37 seconds. Fight. Fight. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another great episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and we have a great show for you guys today. Uh, you know, I always love to talk about technology and marketing and, you know, what, what other people are doing, what marketers are doing, what's kind of going on in the business space. And so we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. Uh, as you guys all know, a lot of these companies that are, uh, are still actively, you know, doing business uh, in the background are unable to do, you know, their live events or in-person networking type things. And so you get a lot of people who are, uh, you know, connecting with the customers digitally, uh, whether it be a webinar or so it's, uh, but then the other thing is, how do you get people to know about your webinar? Uh, I guess it's really similar to how do you get people to know about your networking event? right? There's uh, Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and, you know, all kinds of different marketing techniques that are leveraging uh, for that with search engine optimization, uh, search engine optimization, uh, social media marketing, uh, all of those kind of things. People are doing content-based marketing, writing blogs, making videos, giving stuff for free, uh, all in attempt to uh, bring people into the fold. So that way you can talk to them and they can hear your message face-to-face uh, -face, or in this case, uh, Zoom room to Zoom room as uh, my guest and I were chit-chatting about just before the beginning of the episode. Uh, today, we're going to talk to a fantastic gentleman who is the founder of RMG, who helps brands make genuine connections with their customers with a background in technology and over 10 years experience in e-commerce strategy and management. Uh, and the list of companies he's worked with are, in, are, are, are endless. Uh, Charming Charlie, Sally Beauty, Verizon. Uh, and when not leading RMG, Ryan enjoys playing music, which I do as well. Love DJing, gaming for me, not so much and starting but not finishing construction projects at home. <laughs> we can talk about that. Uh, Ryan Gellis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, that's so funny at the end of your bio. Starting but not finishing construction projects at home. I have a stack of stuff yeah, you, in my garage um, that I'm like, I'm totally going to get to that. All right, let's 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 get some speakers to put in the ceiling. Let's uh, let's get some couple new shelves. My wife's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And now I have boxes of things I need to put together that are sitting in the garage. And for me, I'm like, it's 115 degrees outside. I'm not really trying to do this right now. And so I've been putting off all of my home projects uh, until until it's not so hot here in Phoenix as we're starting to finally get a little bit of a cool down. But uh, that's pretty funny. I think a lot of guys do that, right? They start start a project and then just kind of it lingers <laughs> yeah no kidding my my fiance absolutely loves it um, we're finishing up a uh, a kitchen reno right now we actually had some contractors come into the house to do a whole bunch of renovations and uh, we're down in Florida we found out the hard way that in Florida um, good contractors are really hard to come by and so we had a contractor that did a lot of work um, and then just stopped in the middle of it and uh, I wasn't necessarily looking to become a general contractor in terms of construction. I already kind of do that in the digital space. <laughs> but, um, you know, I kind of picked up the construction through that experience. And uh, now it's kind of a hobby of mine. But, uh, you know, I guess I am like a lot of other guys in that regard. Uh, 
you know, I definitely do start stuff and then need to try to find the time to finish it. And it's either too hot or too cold or, man, I got a lot of stuff to do and, uh, you know, I'll get to it eventually. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes my fiance gets, uh, you know, real happy with me when we're doing something like right now. <laughs> yeah. I literally have holes that I cut into the ceiling that are still sitting there because I refuse to go into the attic to finish wiring up our, our speakers. <laughs> Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm like, my, you know, my wife's name is Angie. I'm like, Angie, it's like, like it's 115 degrees outside. Do you know how hot it is in the attic? And I put my, my, my thermo temperature heat gun up there. It's like 145 degrees. And I'm like, I'm not going to yep. go up there. I'm not doing it. You know? And she's like, but there's holes in there. And I said, honey, it's okay. The holes will be fine. You know, um, we got a good, you know, bug spray guy who comes out uh, twice a month to spray. So I think we're good. And they're not going to have any problems. Uh, but now that it's September and today we got our, fir our first uh, sets of days that are underneath 100 degrees. So now I'm not going to have any excuse. I'm going to have to crawl up there this, this weekend probably and get that done. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Lucky, I'm down in Florida, and I think you said you're over in Phoenix, so uh, we do the hot weather thing pretty much year-round here, too. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to Christmas time. Everybody in the East Coast uh, in, in the States are all shoveling snow and, you know, worried about salt on their cars, and I'm just worried about salt on the rim of my margarita. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, Christmas time, we've become the the holiday destination now. I don't know if it's the nice weather or... Uh, the house down here but we have to set up you know like 12 15 places to sleep when uh people are coming down for the holidays so our house gets pretty busy yeah no that's how that's how our place is too you know i, I have a space in the garage where I, I keep air mattresses just for that reason we got a huge family and you know my, my mom lives here in phoenix too so it'll be funny we'll be like all right uh there's like 11 people coming we're gonna put five of them at your house and four of them at your house or you know one family at your house and one family at mine or whatever the case may be and we always end up with you know a whole bunch of family coming in from you know my, my family lives in idaho so they're like you know it's like negative 10 degrees in idaho in the winter time and they're like oh go to phoenix for christmas and it's 65 and sunny yes that's a good idea <laughs> yeah it's funny we uh we set up uh, air mattresses and stuff too and uh i want to tell you i don't know if it was last christmas or the christmas before but um my fiance's name is kirsten and her sister um came and uh the room we do some video stuff for the agency and so we had a camera in the same room that the mattress was set up and it just so happened that like the camera got knocked or something was kind of like pointing at the bed she like walked into you know set her stuff down she's like what the hell goes on in this room <laughs> <laughs> like because we had all the stuff for the agency plus the mattresses so yeah we just try to pack it in wherever we can uh wherever we can find the space because you're like yeah, i'm a full service home. agency didn't you know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yep <laughs> <laughs> whatever we need to do <laughs> Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and place your order on their easy-to-use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. 
None. None of that sticky stuff. Four scents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America and only our listeners get this discount. SpaTreat and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. It, it is kind of funny to say this, but the adult industry drives a whole bunch of, uh, you know, new fads and and new ways of marketing and technology across the Internet. Um, you know, like video streaming and some of those things wouldn't be where they are if it wasn't for the adult industry. You know, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that they've brought to the table because they're, a, you know, this billion dollar uh, organization or billion dollar industry and, and a lot of cool stuff online for us that we use to market other products and services have came as a result of of uh, of the adult industry it's crazy yeah it's 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 really interesting tech and it's uh we don't really work with adult companies at the agency we're a little bit more like you know traditional e-commerce and retail mm-hmm. but um there's some there's some crazy tech that the computer science behind the amount of traffic that's coming and videos are one of the most uh data rich things that you can you know push over the internet uh, the amount of traffic that comes to those sites or sites like YouTube and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, being able to service that many people um, coming on those sites and, and, and having, you know, a functional website. Uh, there's a lot of computer science that goes into that. Yeah, in, in my brain, too, I think about, too, I'm like all the different users on YouTube and, you know, the video sites and, you know, live stream bought Vimeo. So, you know, they're they're getting into being a player in the game as well uh, with their, you know, live stream services and the Mevo camera and all that fun stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm like, that is a ton of data, like to be able to manage in a CDN for, you know, for delivery. You know, you have a, a ton of stuff caching, you know, at Voice America, I, I think about for us, we have, um, you know, something like 12 or 15. 15 terabytes of data that we deliver on a monthly basis to our, you know, four to five million listeners. And I'm like, that's just a drop in the bucket. These, these, these video sites are dropping petabytes of content, you know, on, on a daily basis. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, people don't realize, you know, take a company like Netflix, for example, Netflix has agreements with local ISPs. So, uh, you know, it's internet service providers. So you're working, you know, you get internet, that internet comes from somewhere. Um, there are buildings that basically service as like backbones for the internet infrastructure across the country. And uh, there's their data centers, right? There's computers. Yeah, the, colo- yeah, the co-location. Uh, all the data is going yep. through. Yeah, right, right, right. Co-located. Yep. And uh, so those co-location centers, um, the ISPs are running. Uh, Netflix actually has an agreement because you think Netflix, how many millions of people watch Netflix? That's video content over the internet. A lot of people leave it streaming and stuff like that, even if they're not watching. Um you know, they actually have agreements with local ISPs uh, to install hardware to cache even closer to people so that they're able to push that much traffic because it is, it's a lot of data. You know, uh, the, the average video is probably something like 100 times bigger than the average web page. 
that you would download. So, I mean, you know, multiply that by a number of users that are watching video and the longer the video, the more of that content streaming. It, it, you get into very big numbers, like you're saying, very quickly. Yeah, for sure. You know, speaking of uh, of marketing, which I think is kind of funny, and I, I think you'll 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 jive with me on this one. You have um, this this show that came out of the 1980s movie, The Karate Kid, and Karate Kid Two and Three, and the next Karate Kid, and you know, there's a bunch of them. And then you have the, you have Cobra Kai that comes out on on YouTube that's paid and was like a I don't know a little over a year ago that it came out. And you know, some of my audio engineers that work here at the station are like man have you seen cobra kai it's really good and i'm like yeah I, I, don't, I don't watch tv on youtube right that just wasn't my thing i had netflix i had uh you know amazon prime or whatever and so i'm like i'm not i'm not pay, i'm not spending more money uh to go to go watch uh, stuff on youtube and it was really funny to watch uh, the success of cobra kai once it moved over to to netflix in you know i think it was three or four days when it was released it was the number one television show in the united states just by being released on netflix versus it being released under the youtube uh brand which just goes to show you the power um and the saturation that netflix has um in the streaming online world it's crazy oh yeah big time big time it's uh it's about where your customers are and uh you know there used to be in this little old company called blockbuster and uh <laughs> they had an opportunity to buy netflix at some point and you know netflix was uh one of the first to the scene in this new space and uh they capitalized on that man i mean they uh they knew what they were doing and they moved from that rental business to the streaming and basically invented a whole new category so uh you know, they've been building that business for a long time, and that's a big part of marketing is knowing who your target audience is and what they're looking for. Yeah, and that and that's a good point. And and, and kind of to the uh, press release that you had come out with about uh, about LinkedIn ads and some stuff that you guys had learned about that. And we'll get into a little bit more about that. But um, let's kind of uh, let's 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 start in the in the old finding your frequency fashion. And you know, Ryan, tell us how you found your frequency in life and in business. I mean, why did you decide that you wanted to be a digital marketer? What uh, marketer? What uh, what what drove you to find to found RMG and 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 what kind of problem were you solving? Because I know a lot of times entrepreneurs go off and start their own businesses because um, they may have been working at a place that wasn't solving a problem that they particularly found or uh, maybe weren't interested in in onboarding that as a new solution. And so you know, boom, you have new industries and and new businesses that are built because of uh, you know other companies not wanting to divert from their current status or or whatever the case may be. So tell us a little bit about how you found your frequency in life and in business and, and why you do what you do. Sure. Yeah. So um, it's funny because I actually went to college for uh, music technology to start. <laughs> I thought I was getting like an advanced audio engineering degree. Uh, I wanted to work at uh, Sony in New York and I actually went to college right across uh, in Hoboken, right across the Hudson River in, in Hoboken called Stevens. And uh it turns out that the music program there wasn't as much an advanced audio engineering degree as it was a liberal arts degree and Stevens is not a cheap school and so um, I wasn't sure what industry I wanted to go into but I knew that I wanted to get something a little bit uh, easier to get a job with than a liberal arts degree um, and so I switched into computer science because uh, it gave me the ability to work in any field I wasn't sure what industry or what did I want to go into construction or engineering or what have you medical and, uh, you know, through computer science, you know, it was always kind of a hobby of mine to, you know, dabble with websites and play with new tech. And I, I taught myself how to code and then met a lot of people in college that uh, were way better than me that taught me more about it. Um, one of those people that uh, I know actually sold their company to Pinterest, and I think is like the head of product development now. 
uh, for Pinterest. Um, you know, it's a uh, coding and computer science has always kind of been a, a passion of mine. I think that's important is understanding what you want to do. Uh, there are very few people I knew in college that uh, went to get a certain degree and didn't like switch majors after they kind of figured out, hey, I, I do like or don't like doing what I'm doing. And uh, when I got out of college, um, you know, I started working in the e-commerce space and I really jived with, uh, you know, these entrepreneurs that were trying to um, start businesses or even larger businesses that had just this entrepreneurial spirit where they were trying to get something off the ground that they hadn't done before or were trying to work in a fashion that was faster than the business was um, used to running and, you know, changing their methodologies. And, and the time where I came into the industry um, was kind of this um, pivotal change from a software uh, engineering process called waterfall methodology over to this new paradigm called agile methodology. Um, you know, people used to plan projects and do things step by step in kind of a waterfall fashion, and then they would iterate. And it was a very slow process. No, very, at the time that I very came slow. Into the <laughs> Sorry, no, I was saying very slow. I totally yeah, know what you mean. It's like, yeah. all right, in our waterfall, we're going to put together our sprint, okay, and uh, we're going to go through these sprints, and we're going to hit these timelines, and we're going to complete this project. And no, I, I love, I love that you're bringing this up because agile development has made a huge shift in the ability to deliver, uh, you know, websites and digital based content in a, in a much faster more seamless manner and and also kind of being able to to go with the flow with being agile development because you know what i start to plan today with the development completion date of six months from now there could be a whole lot that changes in that six months there is and that's the main reason that the paradigm shifted was there's a ton of stuff that changes um you know it's almost like uh, i i make this analogy all the time to people that are doing software projects is it's very similar to if you were going to do like a construction project in your house right um you know i could say hey i think it's going to take two weeks to put new floor down you know I, and, and then i have to plan out the steps to putting down new floor right i have to rip out the old material i potentially have to level the floor i need to put down some cork if i'm trying to soundproof it and then i put the new floor down and you can estimate how long that's going to take but you know, maybe you run into a road bump. Maybe your floor is so unlevel that it's going to take an extra week in the middle of that project just to get the floor leveled out. And you need to go get materials that you didn't expect and you have new expenses and new time frames. And Waterfall does not adapt well to that process because there are a lot of unknowns in projects where you're not going to know until you run into the things that you do how to get around those roadblocks. And that's true of projects well outside of software development. Any project. The software development <laughs> in particular. Yeah, any project. But software development in particular, um, you know, you run into that stuff because technology changes super fast. You know, it was, uh, you know, 25 years ago, uh, you know, barely anybody had a computer at home, um, you know, a personal computer. You know, 15 years ago, everybody had a personal computer at home, but maybe not in their pocket. Today, we're all walking around with the equivalent of what was like a supercomputer 15, 20 years ago in our pockets. You know, it's, it's, it's just a super fast changing industry. Um, and there's new players and technologies that come out all the time. So, you know, software development in particular was not, um, was not very, um, uh, it wasn't a great, you know, industry for waterfall to function well in. And so Agile replaced it, right? Agile is the idea that um, you're iterating quickly, usually in like two weeks sprints is what we call them. Um, and you'll plan two weeks worth of work and see what you could commit to in two weeks and what your velocity was in two weeks and whether or not you uh, were able to you know, finish as much work as you thought you could finish in two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, you have a retrospective meeting where you look back and say, okay, how did we do? 
and what do we need to change for the next two weeks? And you constantly do this process every one week, two weeks, four weeks, whatever the, the sprint cadence might be. And by doing that process, it's a lot easier to say, hey, I think the floor might take two weeks. Um, and then, you know, at the end of two weeks, I might run into leveling the floor issue. And I say, hey, you know what? It's actually going to probably take another two weeks or three weeks, and I need to factor that issue into my into my process. So Agile, you know, fundamentally changed the way of development um, you know, kind of functioned at these, at these agencies and at, at companies. And, you know, when I was coming into the software world, that was, that was, that process was taking over. Um, you know, the, the buzzword digital transformation was becoming a thing. Um, agile development processes were being implemented at large companies. New businesses were coming up, um, and starting with agile processes, which allowed them to go to market faster. And, uh, you know, I found my passion kind of working in um, this entrepreneurial environment where you have people starting businesses of all different sizes and, uh, you know, really taking something that didn't exist and, you know, building this infrastructure online for people to shop and uh, better their lives, right? Because that's, that's what we do when we're shopping. We're looking for some way to either get enjoyment or buy products to help us do things easier or faster. And, uh, you know, I really, uh, I really dug that whole, that whole scene. Um, you know, I started at a company that was like eight people big. We were on the fourth and a half floor, almost like a Harry Potter thing, you know, hidden in the cupboard. <laughs> um, you know, we were, it was like an old server closet that was uh, retrofitted to be an office. It, there were no windows. The ceilings were pretty low from what I remember. And, uh, you know, there were eight of us and it was like a full on startup. And the guys that ran that company were actually, uh, you know, uh, alumni from the school I went to. And then, uh, I left that company to go to a bigger company in New York that was about 50 or 60 people big. Um, and that was where I kind of went from the development side of things to um, kind of straddling more of the sales and marketing side of things as well. Um, I accidentally got pulled into a sales meeting where they asked me to come in and explain some technology um, to a prospective client that had come in to take a meeting in our office in New York. And uh, I ended up closing the deal in the office um, because I just like connecting with people and it excites me to, um, see people starting businesses and, um, you know, really get into, you know, what's the, what's the plan to, uh, you know, attack this market and how are we going to help grow? And, um, you know, we had a great conversation and, uh, I kind of started getting pulled into more and more sales meetings to the point where I was, you know, on planes flying to London to close deals and, uh, you know, on phone calls or meetings across New York. And, um, you know, at some point at that agency, um, there was a massive amount of turnover there. And that's where I first started to run into the problem with the agency world on the inside, um, which is um, agencies burn resources fast. Um, a lot of agencies talk about work hard, play hard. And I don't think that's a great mentality for staff. And I don't think it's a great mentality for organizations because what it really means is uh, you're burning the candle at both ends and eventually you get turnover. And so uh, I had been at that agency for probably about a year and a half and uh when I started, I want to tell you the interactive department was maybe like eight or 10 people big. And when I left, it was maybe like 25. We had grown a fair amount, but everybody except for me was new in that department uh, from the technology side. And so, uh, you know, I had left, I had, had kind of an argument with uh, the leadership there about, um, I mean, I remember this conversation that was uh, kind of a, a changing point in my career where, you know, I had an argument with the CEO at the time about burning people like or using people like batteries and once they're used up you just replace them and get a new one and i hate it that that mentality and uh you know I, I thought how do you build a great agency and have consistent work and do great things if you have new people constantly coming in all the time and needing to learn processes and you're not able to like build your existing staff 
you know, I think that longevity and staff and training people up and um, building, you know, better resources and helping people along their own career path is the way to run a successful business. And so um, I left that agency and I um, helped a much bigger agency. The agency I moved to after that was about three or 400 people big. Um, you know, we worked with a lot of really big tech like Oracle Technology and, you know, really big clients like Nintendo and stuff like that. Um, and they have an R&D department that they were trying to start. And uh, that R&D department, was, the purpose of it was to kind of work with more of the upper mid-market low enterprise. They wanted to kind of move downstream a little bit from how enterprise um, they were working. You know, the clients that they worked with were just very enterprise-level clients. And uh, they were trying to address this, uh, this lower market. They were trying to set up an R&D office in New York. Um, you know, the company was based out of Texas at the time. And, uh, you know, at some point I found the other problem with agencies is that um, the sales processes and what the agency could actually do were completely disconnected. Um, you know, it's a common saying in the agency world. You'll hear, you'll hear people say, oh, I'm gun shy or, you know, I was oversold and underdelivered. And the biggest reason that I saw for that happening in the agency world was you'd have people who were non-technical that were coming into these companies and trying to sell people on technical solutions to problems. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to endeavor on a, a software development project, the reason for that isn't to build technology, it's to build technology to solve a problem that the business is trying to solve online. And so, um, you know, sales teams that were non-technical would come in and they would uh, push solutions that they didn't quite understand on timeframes that really didn't make sense. And yes, there were kind of sales engineers involved in the process at some point, but uh, not enough to actually make the sales process successful. And so a lot of clients at that company ended up being very, very angry when it came to the implementation times because um, you know they would say something might take six months and 18 months into a project they had tripled the budget and they're obviously tripled the timeline and you know, people get very upset when you estimate, you know, it's one thing to estimate and be like a month off or, you know, a couple of weeks off. It's another thing to be, you know, orders of magnitude off. And so that happened so consistently at that company um, that I started to get really frustrated. And I said, you know what, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, the agency world is already saturated, but um, I wanted to try a different process where um, we grew slow, we grew with purpose, we had longevity with our clients, we had longevity with our staff. Um, and we had a process where the people who would be building the project were involved from the beginning through the sales process, through the implementation of the projects themselves. And that's one of the major differences of RMG versus other agencies is, you know, when you're working with a team, that team is assigned to your account. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword because I know that you're going to be a happier client when you're working with the same team that comes to know you and your business processes and becomes an extension of your business. Um, but I also need that person to potentially, you know, work on other stuff. And I have to hire slower because, you know, people are assigned for longer amounts of time to less projects. So, you know, it's better for the relationships we do have, but it means we, we grow slower as an agency because um, our people are more committed to what they're working on versus trying to just get the most bang for our buck and highest profit out of every individual resource. Um, you know, and then uh, the, other, the other thing that we do a little different is uh, when you're working on a project, a lot of times throughout the implementation process with software development agencies, you'll work with a, t a project manager. Sometimes they're technical, most times they're not. And that project manager is pulling in resources as they kind of see fit. Um, and the reason that becomes a problem is because a project manager only can, only, can only understand a problem to, to a certain extent. And at some point you need the subject matter expert to come in and really start to manage a little bit. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, when people work with us, rather than just have a project manager deciding what resources to pull in and when to pull them in, um, we commit senior technical leads is what we call them. They could be creative resources, they could be developers, they could be um, strategists or digital marketers. Um, but there are senior level uh, people managing the account at all times. And, you know, we have weekly status updates even with clients where those, those senior level subject matter experts are on the calls with the project managers to walk through the infrastructure. You'd almost think about it like the foreman on a construction site. You know, imagine if you just had a bunch of workers trying to do a bunch of stuff and uh, the person that's directing them is not somebody who's come from a construction background, right? It's a, kind of a recipe for disaster. And unfortunately in the agency world, there is no like certification process. It's not like, okay, I wanna become a doctor I need to, you know, go to medical school for eight years and then do a residency for four years. And now I'm allowed to actually work with people. Anybody can start an agency. You know, anybody that's listening to this, um, to, to this audio could, could go start an agency right now. You know, they could set, set up an LLC and be an agency tomorrow and nothing's stopping them from doing that. There's no certification process to weed out bad actors. And so agencies have a kind of stigma about them. And, you know, that's one thing that we've learned very the hard way in marketing is, you know, uh, when you're marketing like a product to consumers, you know, it's a lot easier because you're starting neutral, right? People don't know who your brand is. They see your marketing. Maybe they're interested in whatever your product is and or service and, uh, you know, they, they engage with you. Whereas from an agency perspective, when we're marketing ourselves to people in the space, uh, most people have a stigma with agencies. Agencies are kind of starting from behind and you need to start building trust from a place where people might view you negatively. The much harder sales aspect, especially because we're also selling to marketers and, uh, you know, uh, marketers typically, um, feel like they know the best way to do things. And, uh, unless you've worked in an agency environment where you've seen lots of different projects and the same problems at lots of different companies, um, it's hard to convince somebody who might not have seen that before to have an open mind that there might be better ways to do stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that was where I found my frequency, I guess, is, uh, I, I have a, a hobby that I have a passion for that turned into the ability to, you know, kind of bring that to the work world. And, uh, you know, I saw some opportunities at agencies that I had been with where I disagreed with business processes and how we went to market and how we actually implemented what we were doing and, uh, you know, started an agency to try and solve those problems. Oh, that's awesome. What a great story of, uh, you know, identifying and picking up some of the shortcomings of other places and saying, hey, you know, I can, I can build something better. I can build something that uh, is, 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 has more longevity with less turnover. And you guys have to check out this new service that I'm playing around with called Issue. It is totally amazing. You live to create, but you don't live to worry over the last nitpicky details involved in putting final touches on contact. You got to do what you do best and let Issue handle the rest. If you're a creative, you know the drill. You're finally done editing. It's perfect. Now you just need format and reformat for every single platform. With Issue, make it once and it's ready to post everywhere. Seriously, Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines and sales collateral. It's perfect for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or just anyone that wants to make eye-catching content that can be distributed on multiple platforms. Issue makes it really simple. 
Just upload the PDFs and files and Issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create the content you want. With Issue, you just create it one time and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website, social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories. And the best part about it, it is free. F-R-E-E free. That's right. It's free to get started with Issue. So go to issue.info slash frequency to sign up for your free account. That's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash frequency to sign up and let them know that you heard about it from this show, Finding Your Frequency. Remember, that's dot info, not dot com, dot info. So go to I-S-S-U-U dot info slash frequency and get your free account today. You know, I, I think I think that's an, an appropriate way to, to build a business. I mean, those relationships that you have with your clients are extremely important because um, it's a lot easier to keep a client than it is to find a new one. You know what I mean? Um, That's very true. <laughs> you know, so keep it, keeping those clients happy with the dedicated team and that, and even though you're not growing as fast, um, you know, your foundation is more stable, right? It's kind of like uh, an old, uh, an, an old, uh, uh, Japanese or, or, or karate kind of saying as they talk about trees that, you know, if you bury a tree deep and you allow its roots to grow, you know, then it'll have a great foundation for growth. But if you if you lay that seed too uh, shallow, then you don't give the tree a good understanding, a good root structure to be able to grow, go and grow. And yes, that tree that's at the top of the soil will grow faster, but it won't be as robust as the one that was planted deepest. Yeah, that's very true. And it's about balance, too, because at some point, businesses are running on budgets and have time frames they need to do things in. So um, it's about, it's about you know, understanding that foundation, not just for the relationship between, you know, the, the partners that are working together, but also for what you're trying to achieve. And then understanding where you can try to alleviate budget or alleviate time frames and being smart about making those decisions rather than just trying to rush to the end. Yeah, no, that's extremely important. I mean, and looking at analytics and, and data and making decisions, you know, based on some of that stuff is important too. I get, you know, I, I talk to so many people uh, a lot of times when they're, you know, marketing a product or a service or whatever, and they have their brand and they, they just, you know, they're like, oh, this looks really cool. I love it. Let's, let's put it out there. And it's like, well, wait a minute, just cause you like it doesn't mean everybody else is going to like it. There's this thing called AB testing, right. Um, that you do in, in R and D like let's, let's A, B, C, D, E, and F test something, you know, with a small budget. And then let's see which one of those performs better. Uh, and then, and then turn around, right. If you're doing agile, even in marketing, right. You can, you can deploy agile in the marketing space as well. And you're like, okay, Hey, these ads did this in this amount of time. Here's our two week we're going to meet and figure out which ones did the best and um, then take the budget away from the ones that didn't do so well and plug that into the one that did. And, you know, that, that's, that's what I, I see so many times people fall in love with something that they've created uh, from a creative perspective that they're not really, um, they're, they're too emotionally attached or physically attached to something that they've created to be open-minded about doing um, some A-B testing on certain items, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. And that's, you know, it's kind of the, one of the tough parts of agencies is, you know, not only do you come from behind, but once you start to build that trust, um, building the relationship to a point where people become open-minded about, um, you know, call it like a challenger incumbent model, right? Can we challenge what's running right now to do even better than it's performing? Can we try different things and see what works? And we do that all the time, especially when we're marketing for ourselves. That, uh, you know, which types of images work better for different campaigns depends on who you're trying to reach out to and, mm -hmm. Um, what you're trying to convey in the messaging. 
Well, kind of back to like my earlier statement about the difference between Cobra Kai being released on uh, YouTube versus it being released on Netflix, right? Um, you have the same content. It's just a different mechanism for where it's where it resides. So you could have, you know, a video that does terrible on uh, on on YouTube as a pre-roll or whatever, but blows up on Facebook ads. You know what I mean? Um, just because of the way that it is or the audience that segments that's watching those particular pieces. And you're not really necessarily changing the content uh, as much as you're changing the mechanism or where it's being housed that's right and there's no one best strategy you know I've, a lot of times we run into companies that think hey what's the silver bullet to solve this problem and the answer to that is always test 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 right there's no there's no one way to know anything i don't care how experienced you are in the space you'll know certain things work over other things and you know generally where to do your testing but then once you get into those platforms like let's say hey let's test on youtube versus netflix for example you know there's no solid answer there's a hypothesis that you make like hey let's see if youtube works it's probably not going to work as well as netflix but let's try it and then you test and you see okay did cobra kai do as well as it did on netflix no so the next time you're going to release something you know hey let's not push youtube as much as we're going to try and push netflix and it all depends on the deals too right like did google create uh you know some kind of uh distribution deal with the people that created cobra kai where you know they wanted exclusively and it actually was profitable for them to do that even though they might not have gotten the audience that they that they intended to um because they knew that after that exclusivity period ended they could just go to netflix anyway so it all ends up being this bad and that's what i mean by balance there's this game where you need to kind of understand okay what are the foundational components which in that case might be great content because if cobra kai is not a good show nobody's going to want to watch it anyway but then once you have that good content how do you push it to market and what's the best strategy to be the most profitable so that you can potentially get like a season two and a season three and you know now a bunch of actors and producers and makeup artists and all these people that work in that industry are getting paid and the consumer is getting great content that they get to enjoy when they're trying to relax at home so it's important to do testing and understand how these things work but sometimes people make decisions just because, you know, it's uh, even regardless of the test, you know that something might be profitable for the business and help it in the long run. Yeah, I think so many times, too, people are like, I just need brand awareness. And so they're, you know, oversaturating with marketing just for brand awareness, just so people know who you are versus, you know, looking at really targeting uh, uh, or market marketing to your target audience. Uh, it's like I, I try to look at like 10 years of data for here at Voice America. I'm like, how old? What do they do for a living? You know, our, what is our buyer persona for the last 10 years? And we've been in business since 1999. So we have quite a bit of data on, you know, who are the people that purchase our product and you know if i was doing an ad campaign though that would literally be the demo i would be going after first right because i know these are folks over the last 10 years that have purchased our product so let's start there right <laughs> that's absolutely right and the, the idea the technique is called layering uh you would start with the base the base layer the the fundamental primary market that you're targeting and then you'd move into secondary and tertiary markets and try and expand out um, you could even, you know, once you once you figure out who your base market is or know who that is in your market and you saturate that, that's where you start to expand on top of your campaigns and really drive at some of the um, tangential stuff. You know, like uh, maybe one statistic for people who, um, you know, listen to, to, to you is that they also happen to like Cobra Kai. And so you can start to do some marketing to people who have shown interest in Cobra Kai because you know that your market does that. But that wouldn't be the first thing you do. The first thing you would do would be based on like demographic, firmographic, psychographic data. And then you move into some of that, uh, you know, the, the more robust tangential marketing after you have like a firm foundation that you're working from. 
Hey everybody, I wanted to tell you about this great shaving product that I've been using lately. Not only is it awesome, it will save you money. Enough to buy 26 cups of coffee in New York City or three deep dish pizza dinners in Chicago. Harry's is an awesome product. It delivers high quality razor blades as low as $2 each, a fraction of the price of leading brands and saving you hundreds of dollars at the same time. I really like the way that Harry's works. It has a very close shave, it's got a great design for the handle, and also the scent of the shave gel is fantastic and it leaves your skin nice and smooth. You can get a trial set delivered to your doorstep by going to harrys.com forward slash frequency. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just two bucks a blade. They've cut out middlemen manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. I'm telling you, I use this product and it is absolutely amazing. Harry's has all your grooming needs covered in just one stop. You can get blades, hair care, shower products, all on harrys.com. And just like their blades, Harry is committed to providing premium products without breaking the bank. Again, visit harrys.com forward slash frequency. I want to make sure that everybody gets the chance to go check it out. You can feel better too about the purchase because 1% of their proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations developed to helping provide access to better mental health care for men and veterans. How could you not get behind the veterans? So important nowadays. Listeners of the show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. I use it every day. Rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated. And I'm telling you, when you get done shaving, your face will feel so smooth. It's amazing. You even get a travel blade cover to keep your razors dry and easy to grab on the go. So make sure you go to harrys.com dot com forward slash frequency to start shaving and saving today. So as a professional marketer, when you look at all the different ways of marketing, um, and, and I know that you guys did some testing on LinkedIn um, and how their advertising platform works um, with, you know, finding that, you know, some of the impressions were possibly bot based and, you know, some of those things weren't as, as robust as, as you think they might be uh, for a a social space like LinkedIn, um, but where do where do you start as a marketer? Like, how do you know? Okay, I'm going to do ads on LinkedIn versus Facebook, or I'm going to do Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the case may be. Obviously, the couple of things being super obvious. If you're going for a younger demographic, obviously you're probably going to start looking at the Instagrams and the Snapchats and the TikToks and those types of things. Um, but as a as a professional organization who's looking for you know that that buyer who's you know not 25 years old. Um, um, somebody who's a little bit more robust. Where do you start? How do you how do you know? Do you do you start running mini campaigns on each one of those to see how they perform, and then kind of make pivots every week or two? Or how do you, with with so many different ways to to market products, goods, and services online? Like where do you start? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's and you know, like I said, it's saturated. The space is saturated with service providers, technologies, new stuff coming out every day. You know, two, three years ago, TikTok wasn't something you necessarily market on top of. Two, three months ago, you didn't have the ability to market directly through Hulu. They just introduced some new OTT streaming technology to purchase ads directly through them, right? Um, there's new stuff coming out every day. Um, so like I said, test, test, test. You want to have a strong, solid foundation. You want to start with your primary audience and where they are. Um, so, you know, for us, we know that our primary demographic is like a 35 to 55 year old uh, professional. They're typically in like the top 20% income bracket. Um, you know, 70% of them have a house, 70% of them have kids, 70% of them are married. Uh, there's about a 70 to 30 split 
men to women in, in the, you know, marketing and, um, uh, technology services industries. So we know that the ads that we're going to create are going to be a little less feminine. Um, because that's going to ring truer with a larger portion of the people that we're reaching out to. So that's that like demographic data that we're really looking at to understand, okay, how do these people, um, who are these people, right? And then you want to get in a little bit of understanding of like, you know, how do they function? Like, do they read books? Do they order magazines? You know, do, are they into cars? Are they into sports? Just to understand like, who am I marketing to? Because the best marketing is speaking to uh, a customer. You know, we have like uh um, brand awareness studies, right, where um, you'll have marketing running. Like if I were to show you a picture of the, um, the the Geico Gecko character and I didn't have Geico's logo on that picture and I said, can you name this brand, right? That's one type of study that's done to see whether or not you can uh, attribute the marketing with the brand to what they are. Um, and then the next part of the study might be, okay, what's the sales pitch that comes from these types of advertisements, right? And Geico does a really good job of the whole 15%. You know, it's uh, using numbers and marketing is actually a really great way to get, it's an attention grabber and it's something that's easy for people to remember. Um, specific to the agency, um, we know that our demographic is what I said. And so we know for sure we're not going to start on YouTube. We're not going to start on TikTok. We're not going to start on Instagram um, because they have younger audiences, right? Um, we were looking at Google paid channels. Um, we were looking at both paid search terms as well as display. Um, we were looking at um, LinkedIn because it's a professional network and we were looking at um, uh, Facebook a little bit. Um, the problem with Facebook is that most people don't come to Facebook expecting to have business um, marketed to them. Like, and, I, and I mean that from like a B2B perspective, right? Like we're a business that sells services to other businesses. When you're on Facebook, it's a very personal setting. You're interacting with other people you individually communicate with. You know, you might expect to see consumer products on Facebook, but business marketing tends to not work as well um, because most businesses that even have Facebook pages or whatnot that operate on there are there to connect with their consumers. Um, there's a whole interesting reason why businesses start to do that. We could get into if you wanted to, but um, you know, our primary demographic was uh, really focused on LinkedIn um, because we knew we know how Google is going to work. Um, and there's, you have to have a campaign that makes sense, right? Uh, brand awareness campaigns are actually, in my opinion, a very bad idea just to do awareness for the sake of doing awareness. Um, because if you're going to do an awareness campaign, you need to be tracking things like brand lift. And unless you're a, a, a much bigger agency like, like Deloitte, it probably really doesn't matter what people think about us. I'm sure most people that are listening to this probably haven't heard of RMG unless they've specifically looked at agencies to implement like full service commerce implementations for businesses. Um, so it's a very kind of niche type of thing. And, uh, you know, when we're marketing to people on LinkedIn, we know that those people are in a, um, they're in a mental state where they are open to potentially being marketed to from a business perspective, because if they're on LinkedIn, they're thinking about work. Um, and, you know, the people that fit in our demographic fit on that. Um, and we need to know what we're marketing to them, right? You can't just do awareness because, um, Awareness, it's like shooting a thousand arrows in the fog hoping to hit something versus like, you know, shooting an arrow directly at a target. Um, you get much better success trying to, uh, you know, shoot at a specific target than just shooting a bunch of arrows in the fog because you don't know where anything is and chances are you're going to miss everything that might be there anyway. <laughs> and so um, for smaller companies that don't have a ton of budget to burn, you know, if you're McDonald's, sure, you do brand awareness. Um, if you're Pepsi or Coca-Cola, you do brand awareness. Um, if you're a business like us, where you're not spending, you know, a million, five million, ten million dollars a month on a marketing budget, 
brand awareness really isn't a super effective strategy because most of your marketing dollars are being burned. And so the, the, you know, the wisdom was, uh, the conventional marketing wisdom was, let's go to where our customers are and try and push a campaign specific to those specific people. Um, and so, you know, LinkedIn in particular, um, you know, we had a, um, it was right when coronavirus happened. Um, we had a, uh, we have it, we have a, um, business intelligence tool that we leverage with commerce companies to help them uh, triangulate data from all different sources. So it pulls in marketing data, it pulls in email data, it pulls in analytics data, it pulls in your commerce data, and it helps you answer questions like, what's the best time of day to push messages to my customers on Facebook? You know, that'll result in the most profit. Um, you know, what are the best uh, ad channels? What are the most profitable ad channels that I'm running in and what does their growth look like over the past, you know, 10 to 12 months and things like that? Um, so we have this tool that we were pushing to people. This was back in like March um, that coronavirus hit and we said, you know what? We're gonna give this tool away for free, help businesses through Q2. Um, we made the tool free for three months and we wanted businesses to just be able to track their data because at the time there was a massive dip in March and then everybody started to kind of beeline back up to profitability and we ended up being in a state where most commerce industries were up 30% year over year in Q2. And so, uh, you know, this commerce tool was our way of trying to try and help the community get our name out there, um, you know, potentially um, work with new companies that were able to get their feet under them through the pandemic and help people grow. Um, so we ran a campaign. It was, uh, man, I think we did like a $3,000 spend uh, for a 30-day period. Um, that $3,000 spend almost saturated the budget that LinkedIn said we would be able to spend. So, you know, there might be people that say, hey, why didn't you spend $15,000 or $30,000? We couldn't because the budget, you know, we weren't able to burn that much budget on the audience that we were marketing to. Um, and, uh, you know, we had run this specific campaign. We did exactly the A-B, uh, A-B testing that you're talking about. We had three different types of ads. Um, one of them was a more abstract image. One of them had people. And one of them had, uh, you know, a hand on a tablet pointing to some marketing data. Um, and, uh, you know, the ad that ended up working the best, I think, was that one. And, you know, when we did our initial testing over the first, like, week or so. And so we um, made sure that we only ran that ad for the remainder of the campaign. Um, and, you know, and when I say that it ran the best, I mean the most people clicked on that ad. Right. Because as you know, um, we ran that campaign for 30 days. Um, we had, I think, like 250 clicks on that particular campaign on LinkedIn. And the advertisement was specifically like, you know, uh, try RMG's analytics tool for free um, because of coronavirus. You know, we want to help your business grow. Um, and then there was a button to, you know, request a demo. And so, you, you know, the, the argument for marketing would be, okay, somebody sees this ad on LinkedIn, they're in a mental state where coronavirus has hit, they're thinking about work, they're, you know, networking with people on a business social network. They should be primed to, you know, respond to this ad. You know, the people that click, we would expect to be real people interested in whatever the solution is that we're pushing to them. And so I think we had about 250 something clicks on the ad over um, over a uh, 30 day period. And out of those 250 clicks, we had exactly zero people sign up for the tool on the landing page. And we did all kinds of testing to see was there something wrong with the landing page? Um, did, uh, you know, did the website not work? Was there something wrong with LinkedIn? Um, and we tested all types of ads too. Um, you know, a lot of people might say, Hey, well, you can do like website conversions or website visits or engagement or, you know, brand awareness. Um, 
you know, because you can choose on LinkedIn, like what the types of algorithms you want to run are to try and tell, you know, LinkedIn, hey, I want more website visits, I want more people converting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, LinkedIn even has a, um, a marketing option where you can choose to run lead gen forms directly on LinkedIn. So people, you know, one thing we tested was, hey, you know what, let's pretend there's a bug on our website that we can't see and all our testing isn't showing. Um, let's run a lead gen form on LinkedIn. They never leave the LinkedIn website. They click on the ad. It opens a form on LinkedIn that's pre-filled with their data and all they have to do is click submit and now they've got a free demo of, of the product. I want to tell you we had about 90, 80 or 90 clicks on that lead gen form and again, zero submission, right? And so then we started to become a little suspect. And I guess to give a little bit more detail about the campaign, the campaign was uh, you know, specific to people in the United States because there's a massive fraud problem on all of the advertising networks uh, outside of like, you know, the United States, uh, places like you probably heard of like the Nigerian print scams and stuff like that. So we didn't want to be marketing to locations like those. Um, we set the audience to be specific job titles, which is about as specific as you can be in a LinkedIn campaign. Um, we know from the people who do use our marketing um, analytics tool that um, primarily they're CMOs, business strategists, or leadership like CEOs or CIOs that are looking at the data from these tools. So we knew that those were like the four tracks that we really wanted to be pushing, um, that we really wanted to be pushing these advertisements to. So we narrowed down to a subset of probably like 50 job titles. And the way that LinkedIn works is, you know, you might say market to chief marketing officer, but it actually rolls up multiple titles underneath of that. So even though you say chief marketing officer will also advertise to like CMO, maybe like, you know, marketing leader, like I don't know what the specifics are that roll up into it. Yeah, director of marketing and that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we, we targeted that specific audience. Um, you know, we um, set our filters um, for location. Um, we set our budgets and everything that we were going to do. Like the ad campaign, we actually put a video up on YouTube kind of demonstrating what we did to get feedback to see what people said about uh, the campaign. And so far, most of the feedback has been, yeah, we've seen this too. We stopped running on LinkedIn because we had this issue. Um, but yeah, we had like 250 clicks on the campaign um, zero submissions out of 250 clicks on a $3,000 spent. And typically in marketing, like if I can spend $3,000 on a tactic and it's not going to work with that number of clicks, it's statistically relevant enough that even if I spend $30,000, I'm unlikely to get any kind of real return on running that marketing campaign. Especially, you know, that campaign was more of a loss leader for us. It was something where we were marketing to help businesses because it's part of, you know, our belief system as a company. And, uh, you know, the, the end result would hopefully turn into working with new partners that we helped to stabilize throughout the pandemic. But the main goal of the campaign was to get people hooked up and looking at their data in ways that we do most companies don't. And then not only that, but on the website, um, so you click on the ad, and most of the time we were doing our testing, we had people coming to our website because we can track that more deeply. Um, we use user session recording tools to see what actions people take on the website once they get there. And that was where we kind of dropped our jaws and said, oh man, this network's actually either full of fraudulent accounts or it's full of people accidentally clicking on the link and immediately backing out because the uh, bounce rate, um, which is the time where somebody browses to your site and leaves within a second or two seconds, depending on what ad platform you're on, um, the bounce rate was 98% on that campaign. 
And with how specific the advertisements were and how specific the audience was that we were targeting for that advertisement, a 98% bounce rate didn't make any sense whatsoever. And we were following some basic marketing principles, like make sure the images match, make sure the copy matches between the advertisement and the landing page and some other best practices for direct response pages like we were doing. And uh, when we saw the user session recordings and just there were recordings where there were no activity and people bounced. There were recordings where people bounced before the page had even had a chance to load. Uh, and this page was running on um, one of the most advanced technologies, the same technology that Facebook actually created called uh, uh, React. It's a progressive web application. Our average page load speed was like a second, a second and a half. And so people were coming to this website that's extremely fast and leaving before you know it could even load. Um, we were seeing clicks that just looked inhuman, like people that were clicking, you know, a hundred times a second in all different areas of the screen. It was just, the behavior was so, um, it was just so volatile, just where, you know, it didn't make any sense when we looked at the behavior. And that's where we said, uh-oh, you know, we have a problem with our campaign. So we grabbed all the log data of people who had come from LinkedIn um, to our, our website. Um, we grabbed all of the user session recordings. We got in touch with LinkedIn. We actually talked to like their head of product development or something. And the end result of that conversation was, uh, look, you make a really good argument, but you know, as far as we can see as LinkedIn, all the data that we're looking at looks like it's legitimate users. And we said, okay, is there any way that we can see, you know, statistics on some of that data without compromising personal information? For example, on the LinkedIn app, one theory we had was, let's say it's not bot traffic. Let's say that it's just users accidentally clicking on an ad. Well, most ad networks try to attribute that um, misclicks and actually credit you back for people who accidentally clicked on an ad because it wasn't targeted traffic. And uh, we had asked them on the app, most of the traffic from LinkedIn when you market comes from their mobile app. And so uh, on the app, in the bottom right-hand corner is a notifications button. And sometimes when you load the LinkedIn app, there will be an advertisement that sticks up like halfway from the bottom of your screen behind the navigation bar on the bottom. And so when you have a notification, sometimes you might try to hit a notification and accidentally click on the ad behind that bar because the bar where you click the notification is just smaller than most people's hands when they're pressing the button. And so uh, when that happens, when you click on an ad in the LinkedIn app, it doesn't actually redirect you to a website directly. It slides open a screen from within the LinkedIn app and actually browses the website from within LinkedIn. And so um, you know, our, our, our thought process, our theory was, hey, if it's not bots, which some of the traffic clearly was just fraudulent bot traffic, humans would never behave that way. But some of the traffic, let's assume it was just regular people bouncing. Um, you know, they click on this button that says request demo on an advertisement that's targeted for like an analytics platform. Um, you know, when they get to the site and they accidentally, you know, click that thing and close the site, that would be a very high indicator that it was a misclick. So we says to LinkedIn, hey, what was the percentage of those 250 something clicks? What percent of them came that came from your app clicked in the bottom right hand corner of the app when they clicked the ad? And like, was the ad displaying 100% or was it, you know, only 50% available in the viewport that they were looking at? And LinkedIn said, oh, we can't tell you that. That's a privacy policy problem. Like we would give up users data to give you that information. So we called BS and said, you know what, whatever. It was a $3,000 ad spend and, uh, you know, we're just not going to use LinkedIn as a channel, but that to, to advertise them. 
Um, and then other channels were um, potentially generating stuff like Google. Google paid um, Google paid keywords, for example. Uh, you know, I want to tell you, fifteen out of sixteen clicks we saw on the first like day were legitimate traffic that were browsing the site and like leveraging the form, and it it was very like a night and day difference between the traffic coming from LinkedIn versus the traffic that was running from Google. And by the way, we were running these campaigns in parallel because we wanted to test to see which which um, advertising medium would be the best to generate leads on that form. And so, uh, you know, we, we kind of tabled LinkedIn as a, an advertising strategy for a little bit, but then I started talking to people in the market and I had heard constantly, and even if you look it up um, for people that post publicly, that LinkedIn is very expensive to run on and that um, campaigns generally don't work as well as when you're running on other paid, you know, advertisement networks like Google. Right. And so I started thinking, you know, how many people are running into this problem? I'm curious how many people actually <laughs> right. try to to use LinkedIn and run into the same problem we do. You know, we've got B2B companies we work with um, that we have talked about trying to run campaigns on, on, on LinkedIn and stuff with that I'm potentially going to eat my shirt on because I think LinkedIn is a totally different ad platform than it actually is when you use it in reality. And so... Uh, you know, I sorry, I, I made a post on LinkedIn and I said, uh, you know, I think LinkedIn has a fraud problem. I think it has a, a, a misclick problem where they're not attributing misclicks properly. Who else is running into this? And, yeah. uh, you know, I want to tell you in a week that post had like 2,000 views and 20 comments and um, lots of people saying they were interested in to, you know, I think the professional polite way to say I've seen this, but I don't want to kind of, you know, um, talk negatively on on LinkedIn is to say, oh, I'm really curious about what you find from the study, right? Um, but then there are people who blatantly said, yeah, I've run into this and I don't run on LinkedIn anymore. Um, there's comments like that that are coming in on YouTube. I'm getting private messages from people saying, thank you so much for posting this because I was running into this and I thought I was crazy and I know I'm not the only one now. Right. Um, you know, and it's you know, the question, and we have not seen a massive influx of people saying, no, you're, you're totally wrong. You're doing this all, you know, I, I was curious to see if any marketers would come in and say, you know, have you tried X? Have well, you tried Y? Have you tried Z? You know, yeah, and that, that just didn't happen. That's awesome. So that, that's awesome that you put yourself out there and, um, and did that study, which is very helpful. And, and Ryan, I want to thank you for joining us on finding a frequency today. We're uh, running out of time here, but uh, let people know where they can, can find you your website and uh, we'll wrap up this episode we'll have you back on another time i think sure sure great i appreciate it yeah um our full service digital agency you can find us on rmgmedia.com so if you're looking to do any kind of uh development creative strategy digital marketing um we are definitely uh a company you should at least consider um and and uh a b test against the other people that you're talking <laughs> to right uh, yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. We appreciate you joining us. My name is Ryan Treasure, host of Finding a Frequency today. Uh, make sure you guys check us out on all the different uh, podcast uh, destinations. Rate us five stars instead of four because we definitely deserve it. Love your comments. Keep sending feedback to info at voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned for another episode next week right here on Finding a Frequency Talk Radio on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 